Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Thank you for joining us once again for another one of our fantastic Greek Wine Club webinars. We have the trio here. Actually, let's not include me. We have the duo of (laughs) of the wine gurus. Uh, So let me introduce first my co-host, Foti Stamos. Hello, Foti. How are you? I'm doing much better with that great introduction. You think? (laughs) Wow. Absolutely. (laughs) But uh, as as you did say, uh, always excited to put on these... uh, amazing and fun webinars and it makes it much more fun with our i'm going to call him our co-host because he's been with us for so long hey, can we make it official already yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't, don't even call him a co-host Let, let's he's the host and we're the co-host there you go <laughs> all right we, we made it official i want to start uh, i'm going to send my application in are you guys hiring <laughs> be a trio send it to uh, well you're, you're, you're greek so greeks don't need applications it's just connections right uh but Let's welcome Johnny Livanos. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for I putting on another uh, amazing segment where in this episode, we get to really uh, get to know the, not just the yeah, faces, but the individuals, uh, the soul that's behind uh, today's wine renaissance. And, yes. um, Johnny, there's, you know, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot that most folks don't really realize what it takes but i think uh this is a great opportunity to break it down and kind of give us a little bit about who's who and what's going on yeah so you know we talk a lot about greek wine together and we we have a lot of segments we've done in the past together showcasing the regions the grapes the wineries but it's really the people that make this story possible uh people like you and me as well because we are ambassadors we talk about it but the winemakers um that we work with at diamond wine importers are some of the most important pioneers of the greek wine renaissance and i like to call it a renaissance because you know greece has been making wine for thousands of years and and in the 60s 70s it started to take off but it really wasn't until the 80s 90s and early 2000s that uh the wine industry started to really blow up and you know, let me get some dates here. I think it was in the, the in the eighties, or there was only about like sixty wineries in Greece, and then that number has exploded to now there's over sixteen hundred. Oh um, so the trend really started. And it was as a result of a few key players, a few key people, really pushing the envelope, showing what is possible and potential in the country, and with the with your the indigenous grapes, and to really you know help create a, a new trend. I'd like right. to say. And um, so we're going to dive into just five, five wineries, five faces behind it. Um, but it's also important to mention it's people like you and people who are watching today. You are also equally a part of this renaissance because, you know, it takes consumers to really change the game. But um, let me just Johnny, can I just say if it takes consumers, then all the thanks has to go to Fati because he single handedly brought the Greek wine industry up in America. Yes, it's all all you and Fulton. with just, with just his intake. <laughs> My intake, but Johnny, before we get going real quickly, can yeah. can I just make a, a point about the perspective of we get this question all the time? You know, you just mentioned something that's very important. You know, Greece has been making wine for thousands of years, but why all of a sudden it was like lost and then it was reborn again? And I think that what has to be uh, noted is that you know, world events has really suppressed greece's wine culture over the centuries 
So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a historian and you want to look back of what happened, I think that we just need to kind of include the fact that, you know, Greece was under uh, occupation for 400 years by the Ottoman Empire, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that was, uh, you know, a, a big factor. And then moving forward, you know, Greece went through some hardships with two world wars, um, civil war, um, dictatorship and so forth that, you know, the industry couldn't really thrive because of all these world events, historical events. And then as Greece kind of came out of that darkness is where I think they started to come up to realize that, you know, yeah. there was an opportunity to, to revive. Really the. Thing. Yeah, because like, again, it's all about. You know, winemaking starts as an agricultural product and, um, you know, and it went under Ottoman rule. Like, I, I don't think winemaking was really allowed. Like you were allowed, just, no, no. yeah, it wasn't allowed at all. Uh, and during that same period of time, if you look at France, they were thriving. That was like their golden age. And they were making those, a lot of those the chateaus in Bordeaux and Burgundy. They've been around for hundreds of years. Um, and even George Scouras, I was reading an, an interview with him. He had a quote that it takes a hundred years to like make really good wine because it has to, it's part of the culture. It's part of the landscape it's part of um you know the vines need to mature and and ripen exactly it's a whole evolution it's a whole process so um that's why these changes happen very slowly they happen over a long period of time and it's something that it's not it's not easy it's not um doesn't happen overnight so it might seem like it's happening overnight but this has been a slow transition a slow process um but there's been yeah definitely a, a few key players uh, that have made it possible. So um, give me one second. I'm going to share my screen here and I can sure. talk a little bit about all righty. So I always like to say it's time for Greece. This is how I always start these off. <laughs> uh, so here's a map of Greece, just so we, we can kind of talk about where we're going, which wineries we're going to be talking about as we um, dive in. So the first winery and winemaker I want to talk about is George Skouras. So he comes from this little area, uh, Nemea, which is really close to Athens near Athens. Um, this is actually one of the first wineries that the diamond importers worked with in the early 90s. So uh, founded by George Skouras, uh, he is a Dijon trained winemaker. So he learned how to make wine in France and he brought that winemaking uh, skills and knowledge to Greece. Um, so he began working with both indigenous and international varieties, um, working with definitely higher, high quality Greek wines, uh, Greek, Greek varietals. And his focus was always on Mosco Filero and Ayuritico, so two of the most prominent varieties of that region. Um, so when he started, I mean, there was very few producers in Greece that were making uh, world class wine of any kind in the, in the region. Mainly it was wines that were about, um, you know, table wines, things you would have at home things you would, you know, share with friends, like stuff that was just meant to be on the table, uh, casual, nothing with much emphasis on the quality and more just on flavor, right? And just making it good and, and nice and easy. Uh, but because of his his training, um, you know, he got an analogy degree from Dijon in Burgundy. Um, and he put together all his resources he could to build a winery because he believed in the terroir of Greece. He believed in the indigenous varieties and their potential. If you fast forward to now, uh, he's actually the president of the Greek Wine Federation. So he is now, he's a person who believes in, you know, helping grow and train a whole generation of winemakers. So you could argue that as a, as a result of his focus and passion, he's been able to push um, 
the envelope and, and train other people to become these world-class winemakers. So that's something that's really kind of special. And he left, he left definitely a big mark on the industry. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. So his flagship wine, it's, it launched in 1988, which was Mega Sinos. And that was one of the first wines in Greece to blend Aioritico with Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, and he has wineries at actually 3,400 feet. So he has some of the tallest red wine vineyards in all of Europe. Um, and when he began, when he began his career in the 1980s, like I said earlier, there was only 70 wineries in all of Greece. And today there's now 1600. So it's important to know, like when people like him that are passionate and are push the envelope, they, they are responsible for kind of building these trends. And um, he's definitely one person to really thank. And he really believes in the landscape. He believes in the terroir. This is him in his vineyard. If you ever go and visit him, he always makes you put his arms out like this, he's like be one with the vines. That's what he's doing there. You can you can feel like the way the sun hits you, and that that's how the vines are being kind of treated in the, in that part of uh, of Greece. So this is him and the vineyards in Nemea. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what else? What a fascinating landscape. Yeah. I love it over there. Beautiful. So, so uh, Johnny, uh, you, you mentioned about um, Megas Enos being one of the first blends of Aguritico and Cabernet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first, I think the first one, the, the first wine to blend both Aguritico and Cabernet. It makes me think about the comparison of could we uh, say that as the Italians in Tuscany blend Sangiovese and Cabernet call it Super Tuscan, could this be the introduction to a Super Neman? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's not classified as Nemea because in Nemea, you have to be 100% Ioritico. This is definitely for sure. You could call it a super Nemea because by adding a little Cabernet, I think it does change the flavor profile a lot to become more, I think, palatable to, to like a more uh, international palate. Like that, right, when it makes right. you know, to me, it, you have the best of Greek wine and Greek flavor, but also with a more new world approach. So it kind of has like the best of both worlds, which I think makes it accessible to a lot of different types of palates. Yeah. That's something that he did that was very pioneering for, for the wine industry in Greece was taking um, that international approach, showcasing um, unique Greek varieties, but combining it with these indigenous uh, international grapes and that helped push the envelope and, and, um, and brings these wines out into, you know, a whole different ball game. So uh, that was actually the first wine that Diamond Wines imported to the United States. And um, it kind of also helped increase the perception of Greek wines as a whole. And that model really took off. Uh, you now see a lot of other wineries throughout the country starting to follow a lot of followers lead, take that approach, incorporate, you know, French oak barrels, uh, American oak barrels, um, into their wineries to kind of add that into their repertoire of, of ingredients. Um, and here is a, here's a picture of his son, Dimitri Skouras, who is going to be the next generation. Um, you know, he's, he's been he's been making his own blends, t- taking over some winemaking, um, which has been kind of fun. It's been cool to see uh, the passing of the torch. And, you know, Greeks always in the family business. So uh, it's, not, it's, very, it's very similar there as well. So Dimitri is, is that next generation um, you know, these, you had these winemakers like George and Paris Sagalas and the other winemakers we'll talk about. They started this this next uh, wave of winemaking in the 80s and 90s. And now today you have, way, you have a whole new wave of winemakers and they're doing natural wine, wild fermentation, orange skin contact wine. So you know, Greece is going to be on, is on the cutting edge, I think, of, the, of trends. Uh, but it's always about kind of combining this history, uh, their heritage and adding it to a more... Um, modern approach which has been fun to see that whole transition happen yeah 
Nice. So yeah, I wanted to move next to Santorini. Um, this is our boy Paris Sagalis. So he's the creator of Sagalis Winery. Um, that is one of the most iconic winery on Santorini. Um, and he gets a lot of credit for being the godfather of modern winemaking on the island. Um, so his story goes, he actually was a math teacher and he was studying in Paris, France, um, how, to be, how to teach math. Uh, while he was living there, he found a passion for wine because, you know, if you're in France, you're surrounded by wine everywhere you go, whether you're having lunch at a cafe or having a fancy dinner, you know, fr France embodies the wine culture through and through um and i think that's something that was unique you know if he was there in i think the 60s or 70s where the greece didn't have that like i think that focus on fine wine while they drank a lot of wine it was good wine it wasn't a focus on that fine craft and he wanted to bring that to greece so he comes back to San. fast forward he goes back to santorini he's a math teacher and making wine was really just a hobby for him something he did in his backyard his family's vineyard uh, people started to catch on that he was making some amazing things uh, and that's led him to build his own winery um, and they built it in, in 1990 in the early 1990s um, and as a result, he is a pioneer for lots of different things on the island and always staying true to the ancient, uh, the ancient techniques, you know, growing it in the basket method, like you see in this picture on the left, growing the vines low to the ground. Um, he incorporated organic farming on, in his vineyard since 1994, before organic was cool. Um, you know, that was part of his founding principles, um, always, find, always marrying that relationship between tradition, uh, the traditional Santorini vineyards but then using the best winemaking practices. So after he built the winery in 1991, and they, they added state-of-the-art equipment, stainless steel tanks, all the necessary tools you need to make a wine of high caliber and quality. Uh, so, you know, because of that, Santorini has now followed suit and the trend has definitely moved in that direction where now Santorini is known for producing some of the best wines in Greece and especially of Assyrtiko, the Assyrtiko variety. I mean, people know Assyrtiko all over the world and Santorini put it on the map, uh, but it was because of, of the pioneers like, like Paris Sagalas, who um, followed their passion, followed their heart, followed their, their, their taste, never sacrificing quality. Um, and by combining tradition with modern techniques, you know, to create something very special and memorable. There's, there's, there's a very, I, I have a, I have like this, this kind of image in my head that if a winemaker had a previous life, the fact that he was a math teacher makes me feel more confident in him as a winemaker. I don't know why. I think it's because of the precision, because, sure. uh, the, you know, the, that math is the one true language of the universe. It's like things are two plus two is four, no matter what you do, no matter what you say. And, and somebody who's a math teacher knows those types of precisions, those types of things that he could put that into his winemaking. I don't know if you guys share yeah. that, but like, I feel. Yeah, like I, I was. I was definitely going to make a comment to your point, Ari, is the fact that I was going to ask Johnny, uh, the fact that was he was a math teacher has contributed to him becoming a great winemaker. Yeah, I mean, it has to. I mean, it means he's a smart guy. He has he has the wherewithal. He has logic, you know, and I think with winemaking, but winemaking kind of it's a combination of all these things. It's 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 math, right? Cause you need to understand the levels of alcohol. You need to understand the, the amount of time it takes to ferment. You need to understand the level, the temperature levels in order to get a clean process. But it's also science, right? It's it's fermentation. It's biology. It's culture. Um, it's also just a culture too. It's passing on these generational techniques from 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 generation to generation. So 
it's a combination of all these things. And I think that's what's, it's similar to math, but it's also way different. So maybe for him, it was a way to kind of break out of that, like, you know, two plus two equals four and be more one with the, with nature. Cause nature doesn't always follow rules. It kind of makes, it right. makes its own rules. Yeah. Can, that's, that's you know? actually a good point. So he yeah, has the foundation. He has the yeah. foundation, foundation that I like. Yeah. But especially on Santorini, I mean, they grow their wines. It's a crazy the way they grow their vines. I mean, they're on the ground. They're on the floor. They're, they they grow in such a traditional way. It's it's wild. It's really like I mean, I'll go. I don't. I, would have, I wish I had more pictures to share it here. But that's a vineyard behind him. Like that's so wild and rugged. It's not like in other parts of the world. It's like you see the vines that are in these very precise rows. Here, it's not. It's this precision, but it's also about having intuition. It's also about trusting tradition, trusting nature. And that's what Santorini is all about. I mean, it's a volcanic island, has no rainfall. Um, it's super windy and dry. The elements are pretty harsh. So by just trusting nature to do its course and trusting tradition, because this is a way they've been growing vines like this for thousands of years. Um, but today, adding that element of high quality wineries and high quality winemaking facilities you get the best of both worlds so it took someone like him to have like a really solid vision of the future um and to know what it takes to make a good wine um to combine that with this history and heritage i think that's what makes him so special and, and what makes the main cigar such a iconic place and actually just this week they were announced top 100 wineries of the year in wine and spirits magazine oh wow so, that's something that they've they've gotten that accolade before, and they've their, their wines are consistently getting great reviews. But for being one of the top 100 wineries in the world, you know you know they're doing something right. And I think the reason they got that accolade is because of that attention to detail, that precision, but also by combining tradition with modern technology. So to me, that's that's where you get this awesome myriad of of flavor and of sophistication of power in the wines. And yeah, excellent. And also one thing to mention, this is, so if you can't tell, those are red grapes in the background of that picture. Uh, he is also one of the few winemakers to help bring back the little known, almost extinct red grapes of Santorini, uh, Manvro Tragano. So Manvro Tragano was nearly extinct and Santorini is most famous for the white white wines, uh, Sirtico, um, also Ithiri and Idani are the three white indigenous grapes of Santorini. Um, but he helped bring back a nearly extinct grape and now they grow uh, they produce a few red wines, the MM, which is a blend of Mavro Tragano and Mandelaria, uh, and then a single varietal Mavro Tragano, which is a very beautiful red wine, a uh, lot of earthy characteristics, that volcanic terroir, um, and by kind of exploring that, what's that? It's pretty intense. I, it's one of my uh, favorites when I can actually uh, get my hands on it. Yeah, we don't bring much here. I mean, you might get five, 10, 20 cases. It's very rare. Yeah. Um, they, don't, they don't grow yeah. much. Yeah. It's expensive because it's so, the, the yields are so low and, you know, it's imagine bringing a grape back from extinction, um, you know, finding these wild cuttings and plantings and parts of these random vineyards. And bringing uh, you got, you guys just sold me. I need to get uh, this. In my, <laughs> in, my, in my opinion, it's worth every penny. Yeah. We just got to think about the, the history behind something like that. You know, it's, it's amazing um well cool guy i want to move on to crete is that cool yeah here my my right. my my Absolutely. partial motherland yeah. <laughs> so crete is one of my favorite places um and it's home to a variety of indigenous grapes a unique history a unique culture and heritage um my, my family comes from lesbos but i feel like i kind of wish they were from crete just so i could go and travel <laughs> there more often um i love lesbos don't get me wrong i just crete is just there's always something new to explore 
Uh, it's the biggest island in Greece. Um, it, it's home to a variety of indigenous varieties. Um, and it has a very unique history in, of winemaking. Um, but let's talk about the Dulufakis family, because they are definitely considered some of the pioneers of modern Cretan winemaking. Uh, so the winery was started by Dimitris Dulufakis. Uh, he built the winery in 1930. Um, and then his son, uh, uh, George, took over in 1960. But then Nikos, who's in this picture here, he took over uh, the winery in 1933. So that's a picture of him in the early 90s. Um, Wait, 1933? Yeah. 1993, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that guy looks good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, make sure you're paying attention. Yeah, 93. Um, so like a lot of the other winemakers we talked about today, they studied abroad, right? Because since Greece didn't have a tradition of, of high-quality winemaking um, until modern times, um, a lot of these, these awesome pioneers of winemaking studied abroad. Uh, you know, George Scura studied in Dijon, France, um, Paris also from, in France, and then Nikos Dulufakis, he studied in Piedmonte in Italy, in northern Italy. He actually got graduated from the Enological uh, School in Alba, uh, which is in northern Italy. Uh, so, you know, his family's wineries went, and vineyards went through a lot of transition. Um, in 1977, Phylloxera decimated mo- much of Crete. So their wineries were all had to be replanted and changed. So uh, they began replanting in the 80s. And he continued to help kind of lead that transition to building, growing these new vineyards um, throughout the late 80s and early 90s. And when he took over in 1993, his focus was really about replanting and working with a lot of the indigenous grapes of the island, like Liatico, which is a red grape. And, you know, thinking about his uh, studying in Italy, it kind of makes sense because I feel like Liatico does have a lot of similarities to Barbera d'Alba, uh, some of those northern Italian reds. Like it's really earthy, structured. So he focused on replanting those varieties uh, and then built a, a state-of-the-art winery in 1996. Uh, so, again, built a similar, a similar story from, from producer to producer, which is combining these ancient indigenous grapes but building state-of-the-art facilities that help tell the story of the grape because if you have a better facility, a better winemaker winery, you could produce better tasting wine. It's cleaner. It's more. You have more finesse, more focus. Um, and then in the early 2000s, he started replanting Vidiano. So Vidiano, even though it's been in Crete for hundreds and hundreds of years, it's only really been a focus for almost the last 20 years. So think about that. You know, we we're witnessing something today which is a whole changing of what is, is considered, you know, the, the, the indigenous, what's considered the important grapes of, of the country. So in the, again, in about 10, about 20 years ago, working with Vidiano, replanting Liatico, you're seeing these indigenous ancient grapes kind of um, tell a new story and take a new form. Uh, and it's because of people like him that kind of focused on telling the, the story of the past. Where previous, you know, winemakers were focusing more on the international varieties, um, his focus was definitely on the, the ancient varieties and, and get, telling that story. I'm Actually. looking at this picture and I'm like, what's off about this picture? And then I realized <laughs> he's, in a, he's in a field of snow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Crete, and where he grows is in these high elevation vineyards on the mountains of Daphnios, the Daphnes region in Crete. Uh, and wow. you have pretty high elevation in, in Crete. Even though Crete is the southernmost island, it stays pretty warm most of the year. But in the winters, at high elevation, you have snow caps on some of these mountains up until like May or June. So um, that's something people don't always realize is that Greece has four seasons. Even though it is a Mediterranean climate, you do have 
snow. Um, it's kind of rare to have like big snowfall like this, but it does get fairly cool. I mean, he's not wearing a parka, you can see. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not like frigid to cold, but it's, yeah, they do have some snowfall for sure. And uh, one thing I love to mention about his winery is that they've always focused on organic winemaking. So their their wineries were organic um, since the 90s and incorporating that into their their practices has been a very important to the core of what they do. And that helped, again, um, pave the way and, and inspired other winemakers to follow suit. And if I can make a quick point in that that slide right before, look, the soil composition, mm-hmm. you know, how sandy and gravelly that 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 looks that which is ideal i'm assuming for uh healthy grape growing you said organic so if it's the drier it is the better i think and healthier it is for the vines right yeah but also you know what's cool about crete is that they have these this amazing weather uh, it's very windy you know especially up in the mountains and being close to uh the, the bottom of the mediterranean you have this nice wind that helps keep pests away which is important when you're making organic wine because the use uh, to make organic wine is just not using pesticides so you have to use right. nature to help you know keep the vineyards pest free um that's something that's been um that happens here you know utilizing nature and um utilizing um mother nature to basically help produce these fantastic grapes not using as much sulfur as you as you might find in other wines um and yeah, I mean, that's been fun to, for me to see this whole story follow um, for, for winemaking in Crete. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. Um, so next is a pretty powerful family I want to talk about. Oh, my light turned off in here. I'm like, that's sensor light. Here we go. Now I can read. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like slap on and clap off. Um, so the Butari family is a, a iconic family. And it's, any story about pioneers is not complete without the Butari family being a part of that conversation. Uh, so the Butari family, they've been making wine in Greece since the 1800s. So they're one of the longest and oldest winemaking families in Greece. Um, you know, they have the Butari family has wineries all over the country. Um, but in 1970, Yanni Butari, who was on the right, he planted 40 hectares of land, uh, vineyards in, in 1970 in Yanakahori, which is a village in Nausa, in the region of Nausa. And this, this ended up becoming the estate. Because in 1997, Stelios and, and Yanni Wutari, they kind of split from the rest of the family to produce their, to build their own estate, build their own brand. And that's where Kiriani was formed in 1997. Uh, and together, you know, Yanis Wutari is one of the most iconic people and winemakers in Greece. He's a very loud personality, very uh, rambunctious guy. He's really awesome to, to be around. Uh, he actually was the mayor of Thessaloniki. So even politically, he's had a lot of influence in Greece, um, and definitely a well-known um, uh, figure in, in in the industry. He's written a book about his life. I mean, he's a very interesting dude. If you ever get to meet him, it's, it's an honor. You know, he's well-known all over Greece for just being an important key figure of winemaking as a whole. Um, but what it's been really cool to see is when Stelios took over as the as the managing director of the winery in 1999, which is his son. Um, we got to see a lot of different change happen where, you know, Yanni Wutari was a great winemaker and a great businessman. But Stelios, I think, had this amazing vision of how to showcase Greek wines, uh, Greek ancient indigenous varieties, but show them in a new modern way. Um, so they built a state of the art winery. Um, they acquired more land around the area. So they ended up building one. They have one of the largest estates in Greece. And they also have vineyards in Amidion, which is the northern uh, a region in northern Greece. And Stelios Butari runs the show now. His brother Michalis also is a, or participates and works with the vineyard management. He studied at UC Davis. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, and then that's when they focus a lot on Zeno Mavro. 
Um, and there are two figures of really showcasing the beauty of that grape and making it an important piece of the Greek winemaking story. Can I just ask when, when his brother was at UC Davis, you know how like all college kids have this, like they, they just go and get like the cheapest beer or whatever to party with. <laughs> Did he like have like all this cool wine to like offer everybody? <laughs> Probably. I mean, that's what you definitely, if you work for a wine, if you have a winery, you definitely <laughs> one of the cooler kids out there. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, Stelios also works with the uh, Greek Wine Federation, Winemakers Federation. Um, he's a really believer. They always call about, he always talks about growing the pie. You know, a lot of times Greeks are very competitive with each other. Um, and, you know, it is a competitive industry, the wine industry. But as a whole, his focus has been on educating consumers all across the world on the beauty of Greek wine and growing a bigger pie so that they're encouraging other winemakers or um, other growers to be, build wineries to help tell that story because an industry doesn't exist with just 70, 80 wineries. You need, you need a bunch of wineries to be able to tell that true story. Um, so he's definitely a pioneer of that. And you've seen, again, after he built his winery uh, in 1997, there's now dozens of wineries in Nausa that followed suit, producing lots of different styles of the grape. Uh, and Zito Mavro has definitely been one of the focuses for them. And um, yeah, I mean, there were before people like him you know, people weren't in the in getting involved in the wine business because it was it was it was a farming business. But now, you know, the industry is sexy. It's it's cool. It's like they're doing cool things. So I think that encouraged a lot more people to kind of get behind it, to continue to, to push the envelope and produce really awesome, awesome wines. Um, and a lot of that is attributed also to, you know, the diaspora of Greeks all over the world. You know, people now like you and me here and in, in, in where you know you're in, in massachusetts dc i'm in new york there's greeks all over and they want to bring that flavor of greece home and share with their friends um so the people like him that kind of tell that story he travels all over the world to show that story with um with greeks and, and non-greeks alike to uh, uh to just again tell that message share that story i saw someone has a question uh what are the chances you can run to these winemakers if you're traveling in these wineries the answer is, yeah, most likely they're there. I mean, Stelios is in his wineries all the time, especially now during harvest. It's a very crucial time of the year where they need to pick the grapes. They need to make sure they are harvested correctly, um, you know, that everything is going smoothly because, you know, it's a natural process. You want to make control it and make sure everything is going smoothly. So, yeah, they're always there. Um, so definitely if you're traveling to Greece, you can reach out to me. I'd be happy to make a connection with you and to make a reservation at one of these wineries for a tasting. Um, and hopefully you'll get lucky and, and you might be able to meet one of the winemakers. They're, they're, like, they're, they're almost like rock stars. It's like get a peek of them when you get to the winery. Exactly. <laughs> <It's Astelio. laughs> Actually, on my last trip, uh, I was in Greece a few weeks ago, a month ago, and uh, Yanni was there, Yanni Butari. Uh, we got to chat about wine. It was, it was very fun and, and great to meet him. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, and then the final guy I wanted to mention uh, is the team at Alpha State. So Angelos Yatridis um, is one of the pioneers, again, of, of winemaking. Um, he's considered one of the uh, most iconic producers in northern Greece. Um, and he studied in Bordeaux, um, in Bordeaux, France. Um, and there, I mean, he learned how to make grapes like Cabernet, Sauvignon Blanc, um, Cabernet Franc Merlot, the, the classic Bordeaux varieties. Um, and in, in the winery at, at Alpha State, they work a lot with Sauvignon Blanc as well, actually. It's one of the main international varieties they work with. But he knew he wanted to build a winery. Um, it was, for him, it was something that he, was, he sought out. So when he came, 
he went back to Greece. He was trying to find where is the best terroir, where's the best place to, to make great wines. Uh, and he wanted to find one of the coolest climate areas in Greece and that they settled on a medium. So him and Makis Mavridis, who's the viticulturist who manages the vineyards, they built it in 1997. They basically bought uh, land from uh, like, I think 80 to a hundred or something small growers. And they were able to produce, to kind of put it all together to build this, this very beautiful estate. Um, and today they have about 80, 87 hectares of vines that they kind of acquired um, piece by piece to build this amazing estate. Um, so for him, the focus is on finding an amazing land and then they completely transformed it where now they, they manage one of the most meticulously organized vineyards I've ever seen, not just for Greek standards, but for again, a global standard. It's, it's a very meticulously organized land. So that's, that's Angelos on the left and Makis on the right. Um, and uh, Angelos, is, he was a third generation. His father was a, a pastry maker for three generations. So he was always surrounded by gastronomy and food. Uh, so he definitely wanted, he always wanted to work in that industry. Um, but he was encouraged to go to study winemaking, move to Bordeaux um, in 1990 to become, you know, to learn how to become a winemaker. And after he came back to uh, Greece, they acquired all that land. It's definitely been all, all up and coming from them, from there, because they produce, again, some of the most precise wines. They focus a lot on Xinomabro, uh, Malagusia, other indigenous uh, Greek varieties, um, and then international grapes like Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, they also work with some Chardonnay, Syrah, um, uh, and, and John, as well. Could we um, quickly mention about that? the cool project that they got going with the, uh, the portfolio of wines from the ecosystem. Uh, yeah. Really- the ecosystem line. So, um, you know, that's all about showing the, uh, the, the terroir of a Midian. Cause the Midian was, it's, it's such a unique place and he is definitely the main winemaker in that region. That's it's all alpha state. Angulos is, he's the guy of, of a Midian. So the ecosystem line is a cool project he has where he has single vineyard, single varietal expressions uh, grown from different plots of land. And for him, it's all about showcasing the terroir of, of uh, and the ecosystem of a Midian. So it's cool. We, he has a Pinot Noir. He has uh, uh, old vine Zeno Mavro that's grown on 100-year-old ungrafted vines. Um, the Sauvignon Blanc Fumé, barrel-aged. Chardonnay. So it's, it's pretty cool when you get into not. He has a, he's a experimental vineyards as well where he grows varieties that I've never even heard of. So um, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. Um, and someone asked, do they, they study in France, Italy? Does anyone study in Greece? Yeah, so Greece does now have some amazing wine schools. Uh, Thessaloniki has an amazing viticulture school where that next generation of winemakers is studying. So, you know, that, those, that first, the, that, that, those first Renaissance guys, they definitely had to go abroad to bring that cult, that heritage and, and experience and, and information to Greece. But now, you know, that this new, the new way, people that are going to school now, the younger generation, they're able to learn in Greece because you have a foundation of these well-trained um, pioneers that know what they're doing. Um, so people now from other parts of the world go to Greece to learn how to make wine. So that's been kind of cool to see. I even have people who work um, in the wine industry and in, in, actually in Boston, they actually worked in George Sporus's winery for the harvest to see how they do wines there. And um, wow. at one point, I'm definitely going to want to go to Santorini. I'd love to learn how they make their wines there. So it's been, it's definitely all coming full circle. Uh, I think it's only going to go up from here because um, 
right, I have the last slide. I forgot to. Oh, I have a couple more. I, have, I forgot to mention something. So let me go back to sharing my screen. And then before you uh, share that screen, Johnny, uh, could we also make the uh, point that uh, as far as like credibility in uh, education, doesn't Greece actually have two master of wine? Two what? Two masters of wine. Yeah, yeah. There's a master sommeliers of wine. Um, I forget their names, but uh, there's. One, I think one is. Um, Yanis. Um, uh, Lazarakis is yes. one of them. He's. I think he was the first one that actually opened the doors. Where you know that's like the, you know the the most honorable um, position you can get in the wine world. How many like, masters of wine are there? I think there's a little over three hundred in the world. Really? Yeah, not many. Yeah, 300 in the world. So yeah, wow. Mr. Lazarakis is the first one. And then there's a second gentleman that I that was not too long after that, um, that is also a master of wine. And I think if I'm not mistaken, there's a third individual who's a female that has uh, reached that level. Well, it's Greece. important for, you know, Greeks have been making wine for thousands of years. So, um, you know, if anyone should be masters of wine, we have such a rich culture and heritage. It's important for us for, as Greeks to kind of help tell that story for sure. Is this is this a question that you could answer quickly? What, what does it take to become a master of wine? It is. It's. It takes. Or is a that lot a complicated question? It takes a lot of practice. I mean, I'm I, I'm a certified sommelier, so I'm like a begin intro level, you know, compared to these guys. But so, so I look at you. I look at you, Johnny, and I'm like, this dude knows his stuff. My God, like, yeah, I mean, I had to read a lot. You're like entry level. I had to read a lot of books. I had to <laughs> a lot of wine. I had to practice service. You know, it's a lot of different things that go into becoming a sommelier. But to become a master, you have to, like, know the exact villages in Burgundy. You have to know the angle of the slope of the vineyard, the way the sun hits it. You have to know all these things and how it relates to producing good wine. I mean, it's, it's it's an abundance of knowledge that takes a lot of work. A lot of studying, a lot of practice, a lot of drinking. Um, <laughs> well, you, you really have to just completely dedicate yourself fully. That's, that's I understand these individuals have this unique sense to be able to, from the smell and sip of a wine, blindly can tell you everything about it. Yeah, I mean, it's you could by smelling it, you be you're supposed to tell the the climate it comes from, the country, the year. Come the on, is that real? Yeah. yeah. You got to pass that test in order to be to achieve that level. Blind tasting is fun. You guys should try it. I've done it a couple of times. Uh, I'm not as so good at telling you where exactly it's from, but I can sometimes Ari, get grape. And don't be confused with blind tasting at a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> I I could taste a wine and be like, "Yep, this is wine," and that's <laughs> that's, that's about the extent of the what I could do. I just want to finish off uh, the uh, this this real quick. Um, about talking about Pioneer. So I want to mention quickly Ted Diamantes. You know, he's the owner of Diamond Importers. And he was definitely a pioneer as well because it took someone like him to help channel um, and champion telling the story of Greek wines. Uh, so he's been, you know, for the last 25 years, been touring the country, t- teaching people about Greek wines, sommeliers, the American consumer. And that has allowed the industry here to really kind of grow and blossom and it takes people to kind of get behind these winemakers in Greece to tell that story and it's just important to mention Ted because he's done an amazing job uh also Urban Wine Club Greek Wine Club we're also we love to tell the story uh so you know I, I try my best to do my do my part <laughs> so I was gonna say just to 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 tell say real quick we did do an interview with both Johnny and Ted yes um on an episode I think it was connecting Greeks if yes they can so if you guys want to hear more about Ted and actually hear him speak, uh, check out that episode, which is on our sites and apps and everything. And Johnny's in there, too. And then last but not least, it's the consumers and the professionals. I mean, 
it wouldn't this wouldn't be anywhere if it weren't for people like you who are learning who are who take the time to listen to someone like me talk about greek wine uh for to go into a wine store and order something you've never heard of before and ask a question about it i mean that's that's the point that's that's where it comes full circle so for everyone out there who's, who's, you know, trying something new, breaking out of their comfort zone, asking questions and championing these wines. Thank you. Um, thank you for being there. And thank you for helping to us to tell our story. And um, yeah, I just wanted yeah. to end it with that. Absolutely. Um, I think before we do end this segment, Johnny, there's one more question. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned wine tasting. What is the proper way to taste wines at a wine tasting? <laughs> Are you really supposed to spit each time out before <laughs> tasting next? So, you know, a lot of these professional wine tastings, you could be tasting up to a hundred wines, maybe sometimes even a thousand. I mean, I've been to these giant tasting uh, rooms where you have a hundred winemakers and each one has 10 wines. Um, so you have to pick and choose what you want to taste. But if you're, <laughs> if you're drinking everything by the end of it, all the wine is just going to be good. Yeah. Uh, so if you are trying to evaluate a wine for its value, for its flaws, for its characteristics, spitting out the wine is is just a way for you to keep your stamina up. Um, if you you know if you're tasting only five or six wines in a flight, okay, and it's casual, sure, swallow it. You know I'm not gonna say spit it out all the time, but you know if you are drinking a lot, it's you know. Well, but also the wine's amazing, you know, swallow it for sure. On that on that note, I was actually at uh, Foti's wine shop last week, and he had a, a vendor uh, with a bunch of wine, and she's like, "Do you want to taste as well?" And I'm like, "Sure." And I'm I'm drinking and swallowing everything, and Foti's spinning everything out. I was like, <laughs> "Okay, maybe I'm doing something wrong here." I can't get like obviously I'm not anybody who's in a position of, of expert knowledge, but I cannot get the flavor or the characteristics unless I swallow. So it's like, I, I'm just not there yet. I, 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 like if I me, spit it out, I yeah. can't tell. Like for me, like swallowing, when you swallow, you're kind of also breathing into your mouth. So for me, when I'm like tasting it, it's important to like keep breathing through your nose. Cause I feel like that allows you to get a lot of those flavors. Oh, and usually I, I swallow like a little bit, like it's impossible to not swallow. Yeah. Even if you spit it out, there's always gonna be something left in your mouth. Right. So like, I'm still swallowing a little bit, but like, I definitely try to spit out the bulk of it if I'm doing a big tasting. Yeah, but, so basically you, know, you, you don't want to get like sloppy drunk while you're doing these tastings. Yeah, or like if it's before work and you're going to start tasting wines, like a lot of sommeliers at a restaurant, they'll taste wines at like 11 a.m. and then have to work the rest of the day. So oh my God. they spit out too because they don't want to, you know. That, that, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, that, that, um, well, yeah I, I wish I could get it. that point. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, well, that's that's it. I, I think, you know, it's important to, to recognize and, and, and uh, pay homage to these people, these faces, these pioneers that help bring help us be able to get wines like like that we have today. Um, and also, you know, there's, there's that next wave of winemakers that are going to be there doing it, continuing this from generation to generation. So we hope I, and we expect that wines from Greece will continue to get get better and better. Uh, and we have to we'll just pay, you know think about the people who dedicate their lives to this and thank them for you know the hard work they do. So absolutely, and I can't wait to do one of these uh, uh, webinars virtual in person, but in a few years where you're going to be talking about the people who are taught and trained in Greece because I yeah. think that's going to be really yes. cool. That's going to be awesome. All right. Well, let me. I, I just want to say thank you so so much, Johnny. You always. Yeah, for me personally, like I learned so much and I'm sure everybody out there does as well. You always bring that knowledge 
you always like tell it in a, in a fun, entertaining way. And we want to thank you so much for being with us, our official host. <laughs> so uh, we want My to pleasure. thank It's you always so good to be here with you guys. And if you want to hear more from Johnny and Ted, like I said, we have a we have a segment with them on our Connecting Greeks podcast. So look that up because it's it's a really good segment. And also we've done a segment with Stelio Butari. So if you want to learn more about Stelios, uh, we did a great segment with him. So just look it up on Greek Wine Club or Urban Wine Club. And I want to say thank you to Johnny once again. Always, you're awesome, Johnny. Thank you, Foti. You're the man. Ari, if I can just uh, add real quickly that mention every single winemaker that we just uh, discussed, we have their wines on the platform on Greek Wine Club and Greekazon. So if this is something that really changed your perspective about Greek wines, you can definitely try their wines by browsing the selections on both platforms. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Fati. Thank you, everybody out there for watching, listening. The podcast video will be up. Thank you so much. Uh, Until next time, which we'll have something cool for you. And hopefully Johnny will be with us again. Thanks, everybody out there for watching and listening. We will see you next time. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.